guys, we're in the middle of the pandemic and these are trying times. It's hard on our mental health, our mental state. And this is why I love our sponsor today, BetterHelp. They're the largest online counseling platform worldwide. They change the way people get help with facing life's challenges by providing convenient, discreet, affordable access to licensed therapists. BetterHelp makes professional counseling available anytime, anywhere, through a computer, tablet, or smartphone. It's brilliant. Sign up today. Go to betterhelp.com backslash solving healthcare and get 10% off sign up fees. COVID has affected us all, and with all the negativity surrounding it, it's often hard to find the positive. One of the blessings it has given us is the opportunity to build an avenue for creating change, starting right here in our community. Discussing topics that affect us most, such as racism in healthcare, maintaining a positive mindset, creating change, the importance of advocacy, and the many lessons we have all learned from COVID. If you or your organization are interested in speaking engagements, send a message to quadcast99 at gmail.com, reach out on Facebook at Quadcast, or online at drquadjo.ca. Welcome to Solving Healthcare. I'm Quadjo Caramante. I'm an ICU and palliative care physician here in Ottawa and the founder of Resource Optimization Network. We are on a mission to transform healthcare in Canada. I'm going to talk with physicians, nurses, administrators, patients, and their families because inefficiencies, overwork, and overcrowding affects us all. I believe it's time for a better healthcare system that's more cost-effective, dignified, and just for everyone involved. Okay, it's Nation. Great episode we got here with Dr. Tony Hampton. This man is legit changing the boogie, people. He has set up programs in marginalized communities, areas of color where there are high diabetes rates, high obesity, high hypertension, high type 2 diabetes levels. And he's changing the boogie through multiple programs, healthy living, food smart. You're going to hear about all these programs that he set up using principles of low carb exercise, keto if needed, improving sleep, dealing with trauma, like all these aspects of health that are so important. And he just addresses this. I'm so proud of Tony, a leader in this community. And as I mentioned, boogie changer. You'll have seen him on Diet Doctor. That's where I got introduced to him. I saw him on the Diet Doctor podcast. And I'm like, we got to get this cat on the show for real. So we'll jump onto it in a second. I just want to make sure y'all know about Solving Wellness, our online platform addressing clinician burnout, where you got your workouts, you got your nutrition tips. You got your yoga, mindful meditation, all in one platform, all in one community. Go to solvingwellness.com and check it out. So without further ado, Dr. Tony Hampton. Quadcast Nation, listen, we have a spectacular episode today because this is one of my favorite human beings. I got to appear on Dr. Tony Hampton's show not that long ago, and this man is an innovator. He is a man that is changing the boogie everywhere he goes. So, Tony, welcome to the podcast. Man, I'm so happy to return the favor and to, <laughs> you know, absorb some of this good energy because uh, on a mission, man, to make all of us metabolically healthy. Yes. And that's why I said, call me the metabolic health doc because I know that's the secret to wellness and I don't need to do medicines, procedures, and surgery. Sometimes, but not most of the time. Most of the time we can heal. So 
I'm just happy to be part of your platform to help spread this word. And we got to reach as many people as possible. So thank you so much for having me, my brother. Absolutely, Tony. Absolutely. And I, I just want to get a get a bit of background into your story on the why. Like what motivated you? Because when, you know, as I, we talked about on your show, like for me, it was COVID that really spurred yeah. the, 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 the willingness to talk about people's metabolic health. But what got you into this landscape? It was, it's really two reasons. Uh, one was my lovely wife, Karan, who uh, she's a pharmacist and she got hit out of nowhere with this uh, type one diabetes diagnosis. And, and I really didn't feel that I could help her like I wanted to. So I started my dive into, well, how do you help people with diabetes from a more natural perspective? Because even though she was a pharmacist, she wasn't excited about being on medicine forever. So so we later learned that if we, we, we treat diabetes with lifestyle, if we, then her, even though she was type one and she would need insulin, her burden, her insulin burden would be much less. And we all know that too much inflammation from insulin can lead to obesity and other metabolic problems. So that was what kind of really kicked it off trying to help my wife. The second thing was the recognition as I kind of did research for her, that most of my patients were suffering from obesity. And so I, I was like, well, what, what do I do about this obesity thing? And of course, I was still thinking, as we all did, eat less, uh, move more. But I was finding that my I couldn't move the needle. And I was a vegetarian for a minute, and I was trying that. I couldn't get the community I serve, which is a community of color, to engage in this vegetarian lifestyle. So luckily for me, you know, the, the luck, I, luck had it. YouTube and, and uh, all these other places like Twitter, I'm learning from other people that there's another way. So I, I learned that other way. And the other way was I can, I can use lifestyles to not only help my wife reduce her insulin burden, but I can also use it to help my patients. And once I shifted from disease management and symptom suppression to healing and reversing disease, it was like a miracle in my practice. A miracle. And every day, even today, as I talk to you, we, we celebrated some successes. People who had, you know, at least four or five successes in a morning clinic session lost, you know, anywhere from 10 to 50 pounds over the last year and getting off of medicine. And it's just, it's like, what a way to practice medicine. Everybody, patients are happy. I'm happy. And hopefully the health system understands and values this and they should be happy because we've reduced the cost of care. This is Exactly. And number one, I just want to give some love because you're doing this in a community like our, our people, like, like people of color often are hardest hit when and it comes to, you know, like, like diabetes, o- o- obesity, hypertension, and often are looking for a way out. Yeah. We're looking for a way out. That, and like a lot of these interventions, you know, it's hard to do when you when you're not always making ends meet. It's hard to you know, take the time to, you're not affording a gym necessarily. You're not necessarily affording Mm -hmm. the highest quality foods and whatnot. So to have a physician in the community to to offer a a sustainable and legit way out and and just act like a a role model to really show the the trail, the the route out of these uh, metabolic diseases. It's it's so beautiful. It really is beautiful, Tony. Because, um, like you said, this is this is sustainable. So, just give us a sense, like, 
how you went about this because there's a lot of people that we know what the problem is. We know like mm-hmm. we want to improve people's metabolic health, but the the question is how. How do we create right. this at scale? So what have you been able to, to do in your practice? Well, some of it was being fortunate to work with leaders that are hearing you, right? So I was fortunate in my role. Um, I'm currently a regional medical director. So I, I kind of lead uh, physicians. And of course, I'm a doctor in practice. But, you know, before we had a merger with Advocate and Aurora, we had a uh, Advocate operating system. And um, that system had a vice president who uh, was really open to hearing a clinician's perspective. So, I, so, I, so he asked me, you know, what is it that we need to do? And having taken my journey already with what I was doing for my wife and what I was doing for my patients with obesity and diabetes, I said, we have to uh, value lifestyle. So, so it started there. And, and, it, and what we ended up doing initially is we started what we call the Healthy Living Program. And we had really uh, a really great team that uh, included all aspects of healthcare. We had uh, people who were a physical therapist. We had nurses, a clinician like myself was a doc pharmacists, uh, different specialties, and they all kind of made a contribution. So whenever we put these events together where we would, you know, get in front of, you know, get in front of 100 or 200 people, we had everybody's input. And we also made sure that the teams were diverse so that when people listened to us, they could, you know, it could resonate with them and, and they could re- be relatable. So, so, so the first thing we started doing is that type of program, getting in front of people in partnership with the uh, Chicago Food Depository. So I'm in Chicago and the Chicago Food Depository, they know food and we know healthcare. So we partnered and we did a team sport. And, but we also had to tell them, you know, we, we need to see some cauliflower. You know, we can't, you know, we can't have, you know, potatoes as an option when people are diabetic. So we partnered with them. We also partnered, we went into the community and we talked to the grocery stores and said, hey, um, you know, there are some things that we're trying to move in a direction of that involves less starch, sugar, things like that. Are you willing to bring some of these things into your store? So we talked to them. We, we got a feel for the, you know, the food deserts and what people were struggling with. And that helped us to, it's hard to tell people to eat something if they don't have access to it, right? So we did that. And that program uh, actually moved the needle. We actually were able to show that uh, outcomes did improve by doing that. We were able to, uh, you know, and reduce the number of medicines people were taking and and reduce their weights and BMIs. And so it really did show value. So sprouted, sprouting from that program was smaller programs. What we found is that the large groups are great, but sometimes you need smaller groups. So we, so we started to do things like the diabetes prevention program, same model, uh, although we tweaked it a little bit because uh, anybody that knows me knows that I'm not a big, uh, you know, I, I believe in coverage reduction to a certain extent uh, in patients who are metabolically unfit. So we tried to tweak it so that it would meet that methodology. And then we also was able to, and we're, and we have, you know, we still do that. And we, we have a COPD program. A lot of people say, what does, you know, chronic obstructive pulmonary disease have to do with uh 
your diet and all of that, everything. <laughs> so if you everything. improve everything, right? So we, we have a COPD program. And that program, uh, again, smaller groups, you know, maybe 10 to 15, they get to know each other. They become accountable to each other. And all of a sudden, less inflammation. And maybe my COPD won't flare as often. A health system should love it because that equals maybe they won't end up in the emergency room unnecessarily or in, a, in the ICU where you hang out unnecessarily. So, so it's really a great opportunity to use that model to teach and then we took it to the next level. We started a food uh, pharmacy. We spelled the pharmacy with an F instead of a P. And with that, we allow people to come into a couple of our hospitals uh, every, you know, a couple of times a month to get food. But when they come there, they have to consume information and we're, you know, we'll give them a recipe. So how should I make this cauliflower if I'm not accustomed to making that or the eggplant? Or the, you know, so we explain things to them and, and give them foods that we feel will keep them metabolically healthy. And we have a, a person who is a nutritionist there and we'll have somebody like myself there. And we kind of put them through kind of, they have to go through a couple of tables before they get to the food. Now, of course, when the pandemic kicked in, we had to do more of a drive-by and we would just hand them information. But man, I tell you, it, it was a great opportunity to help people uh, uh, deal with that. And, and, and so that's kind of where we uh, took a lot of these concepts. More recently, we're working on a weight management program. We've already established it. And what's cool about it is that most of the doctors who are working in that program, they understand metabolic health. So if you say to them, low carb or keto, they don't look like a deer in the headlights, right? They get it. Uh, there are people who do surgery, bariatric, and they have uh, frontline clinicians like myself and others who are on the team. So we're trying to create a, but we're very strategic in that we use metabolic health because we don't want anybody who's a vegan, vegetarian, feel disengaged because that can work for a lot of people. So what we do is we say, but we also don't want to put people who are kind of or a keto in a bad spot either. So what we say to people, whatever it takes to be, uh, help you become metabolically healthy, we'll do that. And, uh, and I think that that's what we've been able to achieve. So when you think about other tools we'll be using, uh, like an app to help people, and we can talk a little bit more about that, FoodSmart, uh, a partnership, we'll, we'll use that technology to guide people towards a, a program that works for them because you don't have to be low carb to be healthy. It's just that I, I tend to lean that way because in communities of color, particularly African-Americans, um, there is a uh, there's some carb intolerance that we have that's beyond what our peers have. So if that's true, then we need to first let people know that that's a real thing and then find ways to honor their culture with the foods that they're familiar with while also honoring the fact that if they eat too much starch, it can harm them. And that way we can have, you know, future generations of healthy folk to continue to spread this message. So that's kind of where we, we are. And I'm really excited that I'm in a health system advocate world that actually will listen. And, and, and our motto is we help people live well. And I challenged them say, well, what does live well mean? Does it mean taking a statin or does it mean helping you to heal? And helping you live well doesn't mean we, we are compliant with your medicine. It means that we find ways to get you off your medicine. Preach. Getting people off their medic medication. I, I love it so much. And uh, I don't even know where to start. Like in terms of even 
you know, when it comes to healthy living, the fact that it's so multidisciplinary, right? Like multiple <laughs> disciplines, allied health, phys, uh, physiotherapists, nurses, MDs, pharmacists, all coming together to try and influence uh, individuals into healthy choices. I, I mean, it's brilliant. And I, what I love about it too is like this recipe that you've come up with is 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 scalable. It's it's people throughout the you know North America could implement something similar. And, That's right. And so l- let me ask because and before I forget, also I have no doubts, Tony. Like everything you're saying, whether it's a COPD or or diabetics, that this will ultimately save the dollars. This will, oh yeah, well, without a doubt in my mind. You know, you you prevent somebody, for example, a COPD patient from landing in the ICU. That's three thousand dollars a day, like conservative estimates. So, right, this is it won't take that many people, that many prevent, mm-hmm. uh, preventing the, too many admissions to really show value. But um, my question for you is. What is it like? What's some of the details? Like, I, I like the way you, you say, like, you, you you try and tailor the approach for what the patient is, is ready for. Like, you're really trying to harbor success, right? Like, that's why you're not saying it's got to be low carb for everybody. It's vegans are welcome. Like, there's a, a bunch of ways that you could approach this. But what are some of the key principles, like, when, when it comes to either movement, when it comes to diet, when it comes to you know, uh, socializing, like what are some of the key principles that you're, that you're, um, thinking about? Yeah, it's, it's, it's actually, I've simplified it, um, in my clinic and I've simplified it even with the podcast, protecting your nest. And that was all born out of answering that question. Right. So, so in my training in nutrition and functional medicine, I, I learned about the root causes of chronic disease, right? And, and I learned that the root causes included, and that's the nest of poor nutrition and eating too much. So me, I'm an intermittent faster. So if we're recording this in the afternoon, right? Um, I, I have not eaten yet and I will eat after we record, but I'm not hungry because my body is adaptive uh, to eating that way. And then the E is for the, the exercise. So when I talk to patients, I don't worry about exercise in the beginning because they may be 350 pounds. I just tell them that that is going to be how we're going to maintain weight loss. So we talk about being metabolically healthy with exercise. Then we talk about, uh, the stress and the sleep. That's the S. And we talk about where are you now? And, and what I do as I go through this list, right. Uh, the T for trauma. Have you been traumatized? Is there something that's uh, bothering you more recently or something from the past? Uh, do you think in a positive way? Uh, and then the ROPE in the nest and ROPE acronym, relationships, uh, avoiding organisms. I'm going to get one of my buddies uh, who's a doc in HIV to come talk about the prep, you know, that, that you know, something you can give yourself if you're you know, your lifestyle is such that you're concerned about HIV. Well, there's something to take. People need to know about that. Um, and then the, um, the, the P for pollutants. I'm writing an article with the diet doctor. We're going to talk about pollutants and how to avoid them. And of course, the E for protecting your emotions and your life experiences. So what I do in a clinical setting uh, is I, I make awareness of all of these things. And then I say, let's, let's 
let's see where you have gaps because I can't, I can't help you with a diet approach or a way of eating if you're still in trauma. If, if you're in a dysfunctional relationship and everything I say to you will then get sabotaged by your partner, I can't help you. If you're emotionally unstable and you are struggling with your emotions, rather it's anxiety, maybe it's from your supervisor at work, I can't help you because they'll sabotage everything. So that's kind of how I approach it clinically. That's the way of thinking I, I try to speak to the world about. And the goal is to help people. We grab them by the hand and we help them problem solve. We say, let's see where you have gaps. Let's, we, we're going to eat the elephant one bite at a time. We're not going to build Rome in a day. And then, but they need coaching. They need somebody to uh, give them information that's valuable and then to coach them in a way after you build rapport with them that they will honor and we let them help solve their problem. In other words, this is where you're struggling. How do you think we can solve that problem? Um, how would you like, to, when would you like to get started? So I start with them and if they're you know, not sure, I'll give them tips, but a lot of times they already know, they just need somebody to kind of make them accountable and to coach them along and to, be, and to also give them something that's realistic. Uh, and that, and again, going back, honors their culture, honors their, you know, you can't tell people to stop eating what they've been eating for 70 years. What you do is say, what, it, what part of that is going to work for you and what part won't. And it's okay to remove some of the things that are causing harm. I love the, I love that point too, Tony, about the realistic goals. Like you got to like work with them. Like what is actually achievable, like not a Hail Mary you got to be like, give me that three yard pass. You know what I mean? Like, right. like just get, get moving in the wrong, in the right direction. A little bite yeah. of that elephant. I like it. I like it. Yes. So yes. I just, I, we didn't talk about this before, but I'm curious, like I love number one, dealing with some of the, the trauma, some of the, the existential emotional side, obviously is super important. I'm curious to, in terms of when you make some exercise recommendations, for example, what are some of the principles yeah. that you look at? Yeah, I, I definitely, I have a lot of seniors, so I, I try to keep it simple. So I remember when I first started this journey, um, I would, you know, talk about squats and push-ups and, uh, you know, lunges, but then I realized a lot of my seniors, they may struggle, right? Mm -hmm. Arthritis kicks in after over, you know, years of uh, overuse. So, um, so what I've done more recently is I, I tend to implement the ideal of using those uh, elastic bands, right? Oh. So I absolutely have found that that's the, the secret, the elastic band. So I, so, so what I'm, so what I tell patients is this, I, I will give you an exercise. Now I did, I did uh, grab some knowledge from one of my previous guests and that's Dr. Ben Bokikio, right? And I, and I told that, so I listened to what he, what he does, Dr. Ben Bokikio. And what I found is, is that what he does is, okay. Yeah. So what I found is that what he does is he has a 15 minute program um, that you do twice a week. Mm -hmm. So if you grab an elastic band, put it under your feet and you just laterally raise your arms and you do it at a level where um, it's, you can do it, but it's hard. Right. 
and you and you only can do about you know 40 you know maybe like a minute and a half of this max and then you go to the next body part and you do the same thing what i found is that most of my older patients and even this and that's actually what i do now uh in 15 minutes i can cover the seven exercise that does the entire body and and what happens is what we don't do very well and we learned this from sports how some of our athletes they they're, they're trying to get these guys back so they don't give them time to recover. And what we find is that if you don't let the muscle uh, heal, recover, and grow, then you're not going to be successful. So a guy like me who was exercising every other day for an hour, now I'm doing 15 minutes twice a week. I, I also uh, stretch and I also, I'll be walking as the weather starts to change. Mm-hmm. Uh, I find that it's more it's a, it's a bite-sized piece that people can handle. People don't believe it's going to work, but I, I'll go as far as show them the studies that show that it works. So, so that's kind of what I recommend for exercise because, again, I want to keep it simple, bite-sized, realistic, and, and, and it's rare that a person can't do 15 minutes twice a week, but it has to be intense for 15 minutes. But once you're done, you're done, and your mind can handle 15 minutes. Your mind going to the gym, getting dressed, and you can do these things in the gym, but it's just easier just to have those bands at home. Hundred percent, I love it. Once again, just working with with your people, hearing what will work for them, um, and making it achievable, and uh, yeah. getting results. Uh, so valuable, Tony. So valuable. Um, yes. Another one that I always like to pick on MD's uh, perspective. Any. What do you t- when when you have uh, patients that are struggling with sleep? Are you, I know it's a big topic, so I don't you don't have to get into the weeds, but just maybe some of the high level uh, advice that yeah. you're often giving your patients. Yeah, well, it's the same advice I think we give each other, right? Like uh, what we don't want is a, a doc who hasn't been getting sleep. You know, it's so funny you bring up sleep because I'm doing an experiment. I think. Uh, uh, Ada Fox, the black carnivore, uh, who has her own YouTube and uh, podcast. Oh, yeah. She I, was, think I, I, I showed up on that once. Yeah. 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 Ada yeah. Fox, man. I love her. Uh, and she she took a break from coffee. Right now, I am a proponent of coffee. Let me say that first. I think coffee's fine. And she was doing it for a different reason. But when she started talking about it, I said, amen, right. Coffee is actually good for you in more ways than anything. I said, you know what, do I, but I felt like I needed it, right? So I said, you know what, let me see what happens if I just get my seven hours of sleep. I always tell people somewhere between probably six and a half to eight hours is a sweet spot based on the studies I've seen. So, so I started my journey without coffee and I found that as long as I get enough sleep, I don't need it. So that's the first thing. Number two, uh, and the reason why that's important because a guy like me, uh, if I get too much, then I'm not sleeping well at night. So it's like, you know, you have to end it at a certain, we always tell people, you know, at least by 2 PM, at least be done by then, you know, and sometimes that's still too late for me, mm-hmm. but, but, but I, but when we dive into the weeds a little bit, I, I say to people, consider a nice shower at night. Uh, and then you'll, you know, get into a cool room because you just shower, your body will feel the difference. Mm-hmm. I'll encourage them to, even if they want to go to this level, get the blue blocking glasses because Word. 
Word. man, if you put that on at the end of the day uh, for an hour or so before you go to sleep, you're preparing your body and you're, you're getting your melatonin levels right. And I just think that's huge. And speaking of melatonin, which you want to be high at night in the morning, you want your cortisol levels to be up. And so I'll put that. Uh, I have a, a, a mood light. Uh, I think it's by Phillips. It's just an example. Uh, so get some, get your, get, get that light in front of you in the morning so you can get that circadian rhythm. You're kind of training your body to do that. I'll tell them uh, to, you know, obviously that screen time, which goes back to the blue light. Let's, let's, let's read something at the end of the day, instead of, uh, you know, thinking about uh, watching that computer, which is so hard. We'll talk about, we, we talk about melatonin, but we're always cautious. That's why I like the, the blue blocking glasses that they don't get, your body gets a little lazy if you externally put it in your body. So maybe in the beginning to get your rhythm down, but magnesium has been uh, a big uh, fan of my patients. And a lot of them will use magnesium cream or uh, something by mouth, especially the ones who are trying to be regularly like the one by mouth. So they'll do that as well. Obviously darkening the room with some dark shades. That's every time I go into a really nice hotel, uh, and it's really dark, you can feel the difference, you know? So, so, so I tell people, you may be doing some of these things already and I'll give them a list of things to consider. I know, uh, Sean Stevenson wrote a book, sleep better. Sometimes I'll recommend that book, but I say, let's, let's, let's look at some of these principles. Let's fill some of the gaps. You don't have to do all in one day, but I guarantee you, uh, something as easy as don't eat too late because your body's digesting and, you know, let's, let's work on some of these principles. And, and I guarantee you, uh, you'll start to feel different. And if you don't sleep well, uh, you're going to increase your cortisol hormone at the wrong time. And that's going to end up leading to too much glucose floating around. That's going to increase your risk for obesity. Um, if you don't sleep well, your blood pressure may be, I've seen studies where your blood pressure is high for 12 hours after you wake up because you didn't sleep well. So you can come to my office, your pressure is going to be high. So I try to give them little nuggets of information that they may not be aware of. And then we find as is in the rope, rope, rope and nest, where do you have gaps? Where can you do better? If we need to go to medicines, that ends to be the last option only because they, it's not quality sleep that you're getting with the medicine. So it's okay, uh, particularly as you're transitioning but it's not the answer. That's why we, we, we don't, we're not afraid of medicine, but we recognize it doesn't solve the problem. The problem is, do I have a lifestyle that's gonna let me sleep? Yeah, you hit on all the golden points, my friend, but it's just a nice reminder for people too, because you know, the more you hear about it, the more it's reinforced. But I, the sneaky one that I introduced is the blue blocking glasses at night. Uh, yeah. My wife introduced me to that. And that uh, to me, I feel like that's, uh, that's been a game changer. Yeah, they always, uh, they add so much value, even when you're not looking. <laughs> our, our, our significant others, they they really add value. And I'm glad she did that for you. Absolutely. Listen, Tony, like, you know, the one thing I I, I want to touch on, like, this is Black History Month. And, um, you know, I've, uh, I mean, I could speak personally as a, a guy that's been going in through more and more leadership positions and, and really seeing very little of us represent mm. represented at uh, higher levels. What, what does it mean to you being a, a black leader in your community, uh, in the medical field? Like what, what, what does that mean to you? And what's your experience been like? 
I'll, I'll again say positive things. I've, I've been fortunate to, uh, before we merged, uh, we had a diversity and inclusion committee. And we didn't just talk about, uh, you know, communities of color. We talked about gay and lesbian issues, et cetera. And just even people who are uh, dealing with, uh, you know, uh, blindness or, you know, how do we serve people and honor them for who they are? So I'm fortunate to be in a health system that is making diversity and inclusion a priority. And literally a meeting I had this morning uh, for the equality committee, we talked about how with patient experience, you know, why is it that the patient experience may be different for a person of color than it is for uh, one of some of our Caucasian patients, uh, you know, at the other hospital. And some of it is perception. Uh, in other words, uh, how I perceive myself, how I think the system's going to perceive me, um, and and some of it is reality, right? There are times when we can do better. And, I, and even me and you, even though we have dark skin, uh, we have to catch ourselves. I had a patient just yesterday who, um, you know, if you just, I mean, literally a guy that you had a little edge to him, kind of, you know, got a little street look to him, right? Mm -hmm. But how do I approach a conversation like now? It's easy for me because I grew up in a neighborhood where that was the norm, a guy like that. But I still have to be thoughtful about how I approach that conversation because he's already been beat up by the time he's come to me. Society has already told him he's less than. So I have to be able to, and if you listen to this guy um, and listen to his words, and he may even be hearing this podcast one day because he listens to my podcast, interesting enough, he will tell you some stories that'll make you understand why he gets angry sometimes, why he's down sometimes. And you can't have lived in his skin and not have felt that way or thought that way. So, so for me, being in a leadership role, again, if I'm helping to lead our quality committee or if I'm a regional medical director, it's my responsibility to not just be in a role where people see diversity because of who I am, but I have to bring these issues up as things we have to address. So us talking about how our people of color are doing surveys differently than other communities and other groups of people, that's a win because that's the fact that we've been talking about it. I can tell you, you go back 10 years when I started my journey in leadership, uh, those are things that we didn't really talk about. We did have a diversity and inclusion committee, but within a separate committee unrelated, and we're talking about that it is unheard of. So, so, so my goal is to put it on, put it in front of people. And I think anybody listening who uh, is from a background, I don't care if you're Irish or Polish, it doesn't matter. It's important that we put our diversity in front of people and be proud of it. And it is that that makes us shine because there are so many things that I've learned. Um, uh, I remember, uh, this is the last thing I'll say. I remember when I took some classes at, in Vermont and in that group of students that came from my school to take a microbiology class, there was a young lady from India and a, a young lady who was from New York. And, and she was tough. She was every stereotype of New York, trust me but she was Jewish, right? And I'm sitting here thinking, man, um, my struggle is, you guys don't understand my struggle, right? And then the Jewish uh, young lady was like, well, I'm still dealing with some stuff that you wouldn't think 
a person with my skin tone deals with because I'm Jewish. And then the, the, the young lady from India told me some stories that I couldn't believe. So, so I think if we can open our eyes to seeing the world through the lens of others, it'll help us to then not only be able to tell our stories better, but be able to understand that there's struggles. Everybody has a struggle. The key is how do we work together to make the world an easier place to live in? And if we get to just a little closer, we're not going to remove racism because the babies of racist people are being taught by those people as we speak. But we just want to move towards a world where it's less of that and less of that and where we actually can address those folk in a way that honors everybody in society. And I think if we can get to that point, then we'll, we would have won because, again, I think it'll never go away, but I think it'll be so much better. I mean, when I watch TV nowadays, because I don't watch a lot of TV, but I've been watching a little bit more lately. I'm shocked at what I see on TV. We're, we're really embracing a lot of things that we hadn't embraced. Rather, it's uh, diverse, you know, mixed couples, right? Mm-hmm. You didn't see, I mean, it's like you, you may see a mixed marriage more than you see a, a marriage that's not mixed these days. That's a huge jump for it. You may see gay and lesbian issues being addressed in a way that you've never seen. So I think we're making progress, but we can't stop fighting because it's going to always be a fight. This is so well put. And uh, I know it's something that, you know, post George Floyd, especially, I feel a lot of us have been motivated to, to be a voice. And uh, Tony, you've been doing an incredible job of being an advocate for our people. And, uh, you know, I, I lean on people like you to just continue to, to fight the good fight. And, uh, and one, one thing too, that I, 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 this is something that um, I've struggled with too, is like when, when you come in these positions, bring your whole self, you know, you don't have to fit, you don't have to fit in some kind of, you don't have to be that token, you know, uh, brother, like you could, you could speak your truth. You could speak from your perspective. Cause I'll tell you when you do it, it like, that's why you're there. Like to mm-hmm. be able to, to do that advocacy, you need to be able to put in your two cents, even though you, it might ruffle feathers. And, uh, um, you know, I always say, you know, it takes like, couple seconds of courage to bust that out sometimes. Just, yeah. You know, you be like, you got this. And, and but once you do it, once you do it, it's easier. Yeah. And people are very curious muscle. about you. Like yeah. you'd be surprised. People are curious and they want to hear that. And then you can't be afraid to not feel be, you got to be comfortable being uncomfortable. So I always use the example of Luther and, and, and Barry Manilow, right? Luther Vandross and Barry Manilow. So I just always remember being in a setting where I was the only person of color. And they were talking about Barry Manilow. And I, I didn't know anything about Barry Manilow. I mean, I knew his name, but I never listened to his music. I listened to Luther, like, you know, when I was a kid all the time. For real. So instead of me being uncomfortable, and I was very conscious of this moment, I said, tell me more about Barry Manilow. Is that like Luther? And I just, you know, I was like, tell me, he writes love songs, you know? So, so I think be, be comfortable not fitting in, but your curiosity will help you fit in. Ask yeah. questions yeah. and then share whatever it is about you that reflects that conversation. So I think that will help people. You do not have to fit in. You just have to be yourself, be Tony 
and then you're fine. And I, I and once I got to comfortable being myself, even my wife says your corny jokes. I said I'm gonna keep cracking my corny jokes <laughs> because that's who I am, you know. And I got to be comfortable with that. So I think that's it. Oh man, so well put, Tony. So well put. Listen, this has been an absolute pleasure to be able to to spend this time with you and. I, I want people to get as much of Tony Hampton content as possible, protecting your nest anywhere they can find you on Twitter and, and, and Facebook, YouTube. So where, where can they find you? You know, it's so funny. Um, my brilliant uh, son who's at WashU, he's a, uh, he's ending his uh, master's program this year. And I got a, another brilliant student, uh, my youngest son, he's at WashU, but he'll be a senior graduate. So I got two graduates, right? But my oldest son was like, dude, uh, Linktree. I was like, what's Linktree? You know, this just happened like a week before this recording, That's right? That's funny. I'm about like, a week what? into it too. I just, <laughs> I just found this out. Yeah, I'm like, I don't know if it's been around, but my son- It's been around. So, so that's what I would say. If they just search uh, uh, Dr. Tony Hampton Linktree, all the links will be there uh, to everything I'm doing. And I, I encourage you, if you're leaning towards low carb, to try it. I I have a video on there is how to, how to adopt a low carb diet. I do articles with the diet doctor every month. So you can check that out. And those links will be there as well. Um, work we're doing with the society of metabolic health practitioners uh, uh, led by Doug Reynolds and Pam Devine. Uh, that's really a, a great resource as well, because if you're looking for a doctor like me and Dr. Caramente, Hey, listen, uh, they're out there, but you may need uh, a resource like the diet doctor. They have links to clinicians, uh, the, the metabolic uh, health practitioners. Uh, they have links. I would encourage people to check that out. But I'm really it's all about spreading the message, guys. And that's why I share other resources so that people can find a nice sweet spot for themselves. So thank you for allowing me to be here, my brother, because, um, again, we got work to do. We're probably going to go see patients after we record, but this is uh, (laughs) the gift of getting in front of this mic, talking, sharing, and then going to see real patients and dealing with their needs is I feel so gifted to be in this uh, profession. I just couldn't have chose a better profession. This is a great spot to end off there. Thank you so much, Tony. And you know, we're going to be connecting soon, my friend. Oh, no doubt about it. You do your thing. And thank you so much again. Thank you. All right. Thanks so much for joining us. You can find us on Instagram, YouTube, TikTok, Facebook, Twitter, at Quadcast. Leave any comments at Quadcast99 at gmail.com. Leave that five-star rating, yo. Helps with the visibility of the show on iTunes or Spotify. Just want to thank everybody again for listening. It means the world to us. And uh, we'll connect again real soon. Peace.